Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. What I felt like God spoke to me today is a little phrase called no way out. And so we're still going to use the Bible. We're still going to refer to the Bible. We're going to use it because we believe it's what changes our life. So we love the Bible here at the Rhodes Church. So if you've got your Bibles, come on, Mount Carmel, Carlinville, let's open them up to Exodus chapter 19. Woo! Exodus chapter 19, no way out. That's what we're going to talk about today. No way out. Sermon notes are available in the YouVersion Bible app. If you want to follow along there. Exodus 19. Go to the beginning of your Bible, Genesis and Exodus, the second book. Let's pray before we get started. Father, I just yield my heart to you, my voice to you, and everything that you will have liberty to do whatever you want to do. Jesus, you are the one. Everything is about you and for you, and so we give you the glory and praise. Holy Spirit, I ask you to speak through my heart and and bring this word to life to all of us that we will hear a message from you, God, that will be more than just a sermon, but it will be something that will be a word in season, that will be a rhema word, something alive with the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I praise you for your, uh, your faithfulness. We glorify you, and I give you the praise ahead of time, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come and move in power and might. Come and flow through this message, Lord. Come and be known. Let you be the one that gets all the glory and praise. Let the name of Jesus be glorified. In your name we pray. Everybody say amen. amen. Exodus chapter 19. I also have a little screen here that we're trying out. Uh, it's not so much for the people in the room as it is for our family at Mount Carmel and Carlinville and Erod's family that are watching online because they can't see our big screens back there. So whenever I would point to something back there, if you're watching online or if you're in Mount Carmel or Carlinville, they're like, what's he pointing at? Because all they see is me turning and doing this. Now I can point like this <laughs> or whatever, you know, <laughs> but I'm not sure. I mean, it's, it's a new toy for me to figure out how to use. So I'm thankful for our production team that's helping me. We spent some time trying to figure it out and uh, I'm not sure we got it all figured out, but I did have a first service to go through, and so hopefully this service will be a little bit better. So again, heads up, that's why that screen is sitting there. Uh, let's go, Exodus chapter 19, right? Um, let's see, I'm going to start reading to, in verse 1. It says, in the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. So context, when you're reading the Bible, you need to get context. What are we reading about? We're reading about... The third month after the children of Israel have left and escaped Egypt, all right? So in the third month, that means over six, somewhere between 60 and 90 days after they've left Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim and had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if, everybody say if, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, or sorry, my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me, above all the people, for all the earth is mine. 
and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now, in this passage, again, I said this is not long after they escaped out of the land of Egypt. Uh, God freed them in the land of Egypt and just uh, inside of three months that they're walking and leaving and they begin to come to the mountain. In verse 3, Moses went up to God and the Lord God called him, sorry, called to him from the mountain. And I, I just sensed as I read that this morning that God was speaking to us as God is calling us from the mountain to come up from where we are to a higher place with him. That God's calling to the church, calling to his, his people, saying, listen, I'm calling you up to a mountain experience, into a relationship with God, out of just the normalcy of churchianity and going through the motions and, and just living a religious life, but I'm calling you up to a mountain experience with God. What does that mean? That means an individual one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. When God called Moses to the mountain, it was because he wanted to talk to Moses face to face like he talked to a friend. Yes. And that's what God wants to do with you and me. He's calling us out of just church gatherings where we sit and watch and listen to someone. And he's calling you to your own mountain, a relationship with him. He wants you to have a personal time with him. He wants to have a friendship with you that goes beyond. I went to church and heard Chad. Who cares about hearing Chad? We need to encounter the Lord, the creator of the universe. So he called him from the mountain and uh, he said, listen, there's some things I want you to tell the children of Israel. Verse four, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I, as I was reading this passage of scripture, this I was going to really skip on to this for this week and I was going to talk about priests and, and the Lord began to speak to me and he, he said, I want you to pay attention to one part here. Let me get to it there. Verse four, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. When I read that passage, when I read that portion, you have seen what I did. I'm like, Lord, what, what are you talking about? God began to speak to them and say, you have seen something. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians with your own eyes. Why is he drawing their attention to something they've seen before? It's the important part. He's not talking about what he's doing. He said, you have seen, past tense. He's drawing their attention to something they've already seen with God. Why does God do that? Sometimes God draws our attention to something we've already seen him do before. Why? Because he wants to remind us of what he's done in the past that he can do it again. He wants to bring to our attention something where he has come through for us because usually in those situations we're facing something that's very difficult, maybe impossible. We're not sure how it's going to work out. So in those moments of our uncertainty, he likes to bring back up what we have seen before. He did it with David when he came to Goliath and, and David comes to Saul and, and, and all of a sudden these memories come to David and he says, wait a minute, I remember the lion and I remember the bear. And the same God who delivered me from the lion and the bear is going to deliver me from this Goliath. Sometimes we need to see what we've seen. 
We need to see what he's brought us through. We need to have a, a little bit of recall. God's reminding them that in the midst of a situation that seems like there's no way out, remember what I've done before. I believe we've all in those situations in our life. We're walking up to something and we're like, whether this is life or death or whether it's just a difficult situation, we're like, I don't know how this is going to work out. In those moments, we need to remember what we've seen before and let ourselves be encouraged because the same God who did it before can do it again. He likes to stir up our faith. So what did they see God do to the Egyptians? Remember... Israel had spent the last 400 years or three months into freedom. Three months into freedom. They had spent the last 400 years in slavery to a superpower. I don't think we understand. I didn't understand, so I won't put you in the same place I was. When I read over that, and I've heard it said, I've preached it tons of times, 400 years in slavery. And I really didn't think about it until the Lord said, stop and think about 400 years. What kind of patterns and mindsets are developed over 400 years of something? That's all they've ever known. If a generation is 40 years, think about it. Ten generations of people living as slaves. You haven't got it yet. This is 2022. You know what was happening for us 400 years ago? The colonial period, we were still controlled by Great Britain. 1622, for you math majors. 1622, colonial time, Jamestown. How far have we come in 400 years? What has transpired in the United States of America over the last 400 years? Think, if you will, a nation completely in bondage for that whole time. What if we were still under the rulership and leadership of Great Britain? That's what they've lived in, just to set the, sto- the stage for what they're dealing with. So now, what did they see him deliver them from? What does he remind them of? Go back to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14, Exodus 14. He said, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. What did he do to them? Let's look at it. Remember, 400 years of slavery. Remember, 400 years and then it was going to take a miracle to get them out. I mean, no superpower is going to let 2 million free labor people just walk out. That's free labor. Two and a half million people at least. We don't know exactly how many, but we're saying at least that many people probably. That's free labor to you, building all of your buildings. That's what they did. They made bricks every day. And they're just going to let them walk out. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, the Lord says to let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Get back to work. So it took a miracle to get them out. Actually, ten miracles called plagues. Those 10 plagues, we need to make sure we understand those 10 plagues were not just random things that happened. Those 10 plagues were uh, miracles to overthrow or supersede 10 pagan gods of Egypt. Every single plague was a victory of God over their pagan gods. It was specific. So now, look at uh, verse 9. 
So the Egyptians pursued them. So this is after they let them go. All of a sudden, the enemy had a change of mind. He had a change of heart. He's like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe we shouldn't have let them go. Just because the enemy has been defeated in our life, don't be uh, resting on your laurels. You may have to come get him again. He may come back for some more. Has anybody ever, ever well, I know this has happened because I hear it all the time. Whenever we start to live for God, how many times has your life seemed to get harder after you chose to live for Jesus than it was before? Why is that? Because Pharaoh doesn't want to let you go. The world, Egypt, doesn't want to let us go. The enemy does not want to let us go. So sometimes whenever we break free and say, I'm going to live for Jesus, all of a sudden all hell breaks loose against you. Why is that? Because they're trying to draw you back. We have to press through those re- that moments of resistance. So they're coming. They're pursuing them. Verse 9. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh. His horsemen and his army overtook them like 600 chariots is how many he's got coming after him. Camping by the sea beside Pi-Hahiroth before, before uh, Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near the children of Israel. Okay, look what happens. I got to go to the screen. When Pharaoh drew near, we could say in our modern language, when the enemy drew near, the children of Israel did what? They lifted up their, lifted up their eyes. So, again, put yourself in the scenario. Red Sea in front of you, can't cross it. It's huge. It's not a crick. <laughs> so, no, no, it's not a you know, small river. It's a huge, huge Red Sea, like you can't pass it. Behind us, so we're, we're stopped, okay, we're to stand still. What are we going to do? I'm not sure. We're waiting on directions from Moses. And then we happen to look over our shoulder and see a cloud of dust. What is this cloud of dust? It's 600 chariots. That was a chariot. <laughs> Chasing them down. And look what happens. They lifted their eyes. And when they lifted their eyes, they began to behold the Egyptians marched after them. So once their eyes saw the Egyptians marching after them, what was the response? They were very afraid. Here's what God is saying. When we get our eyes on what the enemy is doing, it will create fear in our life. If we get our eyes on what's happening in the world around us, we will get afraid of what's happening. But if we will keep our eyes on Jesus, we will not be afraid of what's happening. If I'm listening to the news all the time and not reading my Bible, I'm going to be afraid of what's happening with China or what's happening with Iran or what's happening with Russia. But if I read my Bible and I read Revelation and Ezekiel and Daniel, I'm not worried of what the nation's going to come against Israel. I'm not worried about what's going to happen with them because I read that I understand that the God of Israel is going to come and he's going to protect Israel. He's going to defend Israel and defeat all the enemies of Israel. Doesn't mean I don't pay attention, it just means I educate myself and I keep my eyes on what God's doing and not on what the world and what the enemy is doing. When we see only what's going wrong in our life, fear will be the result. Does that make sense? They looked up and they saw the enemy approaching and they were afraid. And they started to cry out to God. So as soon as their eyes focused on the enemy, they got afraid. And then they did what? They cried out to God. 
They cried out to God, then they said to Moses. Here's another thing I want to point out that I feel like is a problem for all of us. That when we focus on what the enemy is doing and we get afraid, the first thing we're tempted to do is to open our mouth. When I focus on what the enemy is doing and I get afraid, then I open my mouth and I start talking about what the enemy is doing and I stop talking about what God is doing. We got to be careful to watch what comes out of our mouth whenever we're focused on the wrong thing. They said to Moses, here's what they say. First, they cried out to God. They were upset at God. Then they couldn't see God, so they took it out on the next closest thing. They said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? How dare you bring us out of Egypt just so we can come and die? Here comes Pharaoh. He's going to kill us, right? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt? (laughs) Listen, they're three months into freedom after 400 years of bondage. The first sight of opposition, what do they start doing? Right? We told you. Listen, this is, this is what we told you, Moses, when we were still in Egypt, when you started telling us about all that freedom talk and getting out of slavery, we told you to leave us alone. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians that we should die than that we should die in the wilderness. So notice what he's talking about. And this is what we see sometimes in our own life. Sometimes we would rather stay in bondage to Egypt We'd rather stay in our old ways than to fight for the freedom that we have in Jesus. They were mad because someone told them they could live free. And they didn't realize they were going to have to fight for it. The same thing's happening today. It's happening in our country right now. Sometimes people would rather live under some, I would rather serve someone else than to be in freedom. But God said, that's not how I designed you to live. So they started running their mouth. They're complaining to Moses. They're complaining to God. Verse 13, here's the response. Here's the response that Moses said to the people. You ready? And Moses said to the people, what? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, now, now let's, let's have some sympathy here. If I'm standing in front of the Red Sea and I got 600 chariots coming against me and I'm counting up our chariots, none. <laughs> 600 to zero. I'm counting up all of our swords and all of our trained soldiers. Horses, any horses? The odds are stacked against us. How many knows that you're going to have some fearful thoughts in that moment? I'm not criticizing them because they had fearful moments or had fearful thoughts. But notice Moses' instruction to them was what? Do not be, do not be afraid. Do you know there were probably some people that were complaining to Moses that he was not being sensitive to them? You are not being sensitive to the circumstances that I'm dealing with, Moses. Look at the horses 
And you're tell, you have the audacity, the unmitigated goal to tell me to not be afraid? How dare you? Right? I don't mean this to be harsh. <laughs> We've got so concerned about hurting people's feelings that we're afraid to tell them the truth. He didn't say, how dare you for being afraid. He just told them, don't be. That's the right answer, whether we like it or not. He said, don't be afraid. And another thing about telling them not to be afraid, evidently we have a choice. If he tells them, do not be afraid, then evidently I have a choice not to be. So now I understand that fear is now a choice and not a feeling. Fear is not a feeling that comes over me. It's a choice I make. Oh, hear me, hear me, hear me. See, because fear is not just an emotion or a feeling. It is a belief. Oh, come on. Let me help you. Fear is a belief in something. They were afraid because they believed they were going to die. They weren't afraid just because they had goosebumps. It wasn't something like, oh! They were afraid because they believed something. They believed they're going to die. So fear is a belief in something. If we're going to counteract fear, we have to believe in something else besides that. So when fear comes on my life, it's not a situation that I just say, oh, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. That's not how we overcome fear. I overcome fear because I choose to believe the opposite. I find something in the word of God and I begin to believe that. And when I believe that, I no longer believe in the thing I'm afraid of. So fear goes away when faith comes. Does that work? Make sense for you? So Moses told him first thing, he said, don't be afraid. What's the next thing he told him? They're not excited about the first one. Second one, he said, stand still. What were they doing? Squirming around? He said, stand still. What does the word stand still mean? In Psalm 46.10, it says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. But the word stand still is not because they were gyrating around. The word stand still was a directive. First directive, do not be afraid. Second one, stand still. Here's what it means in the Hebrew. Jot this down if you don't have the sermon notes. It says to resist, to stand firm. It's a state of firm, what kind of strength? Inner strength. Inner strength. Inner strength as being in a standing position and not moving or running away. So when he says, first one, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I know it's a tough spot. You're between a rock and a hard place. But number one, don't be afraid. Believe in me, and I want you to stand still. Now, stand still is not just stand there and take it. This word is a resisting word. It is a pushing back word. It's not just taking it. It's I'm going to stand still. I'm going to resist. I'm going to push against something that's trying to push me. It's an inner strength 
that comes from God that I don't run away and hide. I stand firmly where God told me to stand and I'm not budging. Standing still in the biblical sense is not passive. It's not passive. Look what it says here in, in oh, sorry, I got to change that, but getting better. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to what? To stand. Stand. To resist. To stand firm in inner strength, not moving or running, running away. Standing, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. There's going to be times in our life where we're going to face things that appear like there's no way out. Like we can't get through it. We can't, can't get past it. But what we have to understand is that we're not facing it on our own. We're facing it with him. Let me go to uh, this scripture. Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a road, make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what I'm facing. I don't know all these situations. But I do know this, the one that I'm trusting my life with, he can make a way where there seems to be no way. You're like, Chad, you don't understand. There is no way out of this one. Look at theirs, Red Sea and Pharaoh. How are they getting out of that one? Tell me, I, I can't imagine the people going, we're going to die. That's it. Thanks a lot, Moses. Here we go. We're going to die. Everybody had given up. Can you imagine the pressure? But no matter what we're facing, we've got to understand this. Let me give you another scripture. Maybe encourage you right now. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? This is a message to all of us from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's nothing too difficult for him. Well, you don't understand what I'm going through. Anything. Anything. Is there, is there anything too hard for me? The answer is no. There, nothing is too difficult for God. So now, what does he tell us to do? If God be for us, who's, who can be against us? That's great, but I want to talk about that right now. Verse 13. There's, let's go back to what Moses said. Stand still. Or number one, don't be afraid. Number two, stand still and do what? See the salvation of the Lord. See the salvation of the Lord. How can I not be afraid and how can I stand still? How can I stand firm? How can I resist? Because I begin to see the salvation of the Lord in my heart before I see it with my eyes. I cannot resist the temptation, the lies, the deception of the enemy, the fear, the stress of the moment, I can't resist any of that unless I see something else. I've got to see the salvation of the Lord before I see it in the practical. I've got to see it, and this is where I start to see it when I begin to read the Word of God and get the promises of God. I can't see what God's asking me to see without a relationship with the Word of God. Can't do it. Everybody wants their situation to change. We all want our situations to turn around. We want, everybody wants these situations to turn out the way we want them to turn out. But we can't see it in the spirit unless we have a relationship with God's word. It's not just the want to. We've got to have more than the want to. See the salvation of the Lord. Notice what he says. Which he will accomplish. Who will accomplish? You don't have to do it. You can't do it. He will accomplish for you today, 
For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. I don't know what you're facing or what you're dealing with, but God's speaking to them. Put yourself in this situation, okay? This is where people start checking out. My brain wants to check out. Because when you say stuff like this and you say, yeah, okay, the Egyptians that you see today, you will see no, again no more forever. Okay, I've heard that, but you don't understand what I'm dealing with. This thing isn't going away. Okay, put yourself back in their position. You're an Israelite, Red Sea, army of, a, of the world's superpower coming at you. And someone comes up to you and says, hey, don't worry about it. Those Egyptians that you see today, you won't see them anymore after today. You're going to go, you are an idiot. You've lost your mind. What do you mean? I'm not going to see them. There's no way in our natural mind we could ever see that I'm never going to see them again after today. You're not, you're not grasping it with me. That army, that whole army, you're not going to see them anymore after today. That would be crazy talk. Is that not crazy to anybody else but me? If someone told me that, I'd be like, I want to be with you, but I don't understand how. I don't see how. I don't see how. I don't see how. When we don't see how, that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Just because I don't see it doesn't mean it's not possible. So I don't know what Egyptians you're facing today. But God says, I'm a miracle working God. Look what it says, verse 14. Let me close with this. It says, the Lord will fight. The Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. You know, the things that we're facing. Did those Israelites, could they conquer the Egyptians? They couldn't do it. They couldn't, do, they couldn't kill that army. Who did it for them? God did. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall do what? This is important. This is important. You shall hold your, hold your peace. Hold your peace. Let me give you the modern-day translation to hold your peace in the Hebrew. You ready? Shut your pie hole. Or if you want to be a softer, be quiet. It literally means to be quiet. So read this word, verse in that context. The Lord will fight for you and you shall be quiet. Do you know why the Lord's telling us to be quiet? Because he says, I'm trying to fight for you and your mouth is working against me. I'm trying to turn that situation around for you, but every time you get afraid because you see what's happening or what's not happening, you start running your mouth opposite of what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that I'm going to take care of it. I'm telling you I'm going to supply all of your needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But as soon as you get in a pinch, as soon as you get in a spot where you don't understand, you start saying how it's never going to happen. It's never going to change. They're never going to turn around. He's like, hold your peace. I'm trying to fight for you, but you keep running your mouth opposite to what I'm saying. I'm trying to change your life, but you keep saying something different than what I'm saying. So he's telling the Israelites, because remember what happened when they saw the Egyptians coming? They got afraid and they start running their mouth. Said, we're going to die. 
So he said, I want you to hold your peace. And then the last thing he tells him to do. Verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to two words. Say them out loud one more time. Remember what was forward? What was forward? The Red Sea. What did God tell him to do? Go. But there's the Red Sea. Why would God tell them to go forward when they couldn't go forward? Why did God say go forward when the obstacle was still there? There's always going to be in our life the responsibility on us to trust God with what we cannot change and keep moving forward with what he's told us to do. God sent me to say something to some people today, and I, I believe I'm even saying it to myself, that this part right here is huge. It's time to go forward. It's time to go forward. You've been stuck in a rut. It's time to move forward. We want to see the seas part, see the dry land, and then here go forward. Oh, well, sure, I'll go forward now. But to walk forward when the water's still... What are we supposed to do when we get there? God says, I'll tell you. See, notice what it says. And the Lord said to who? To Moses, tell the children to go forward. But then look, in verse 16, he goes on to say to Moses, but you lift up your rod and then I'm going to cause the waters to part and then they're going to walk across on dry land. Notice God left out that little detail when he told the children. He told them to move forward and then he told Moses what was going to happen when they did. I would like God to tell me what's going to happen before I move forward. But that's not how it works. I don't know what you're facing, what you've been stuck by, but I know there's situations in our life that we're having trouble moving forward. Whether it's still issues from the pandemic, whether it's issues from loss of a loved one, loss of a marriage, uh, children issues, job issues. I don't know what, I'm not trying to box it into one thing or another. I'm just telling you, God's saying to us, you're facing something, you're like, I don't see any way out. And God says, I want you to trust me and I want, to, want you to move forward. Here's the instructions. Number one, stop being afraid. Number two, stand still, resist, push against it. Number three, he's telling us, <laughs> you gotta, gotta make sure you gotta hold your peace. Hold your peace, trust in Him, and then watch God move in your life. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.